Bible study. Amen. Praise the Lord. So let's go ahead and get into the word tonight. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter four. Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and pray and then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, we bless you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to hear your word. And Lord, we thank you for this time that we can meet together in your house. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you that we have those testimonies. We can look back and see your goodness in our life. Lord, we ask for that goodness to continue to manifest in our lives tonight. Lord, I pray that you would anoint your word, Lord, to accomplish all that you desire. Lord, I ask for that anointing to preach and teach as you desire. And Lord, we all ask that anointing to hear and receive what the Spirit is speaking to us tonight. We ask it all in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. In, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, the context of this passage is, remember in your mind, whenever the Israelites were in Egypt and God was going to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, um, he did a work for them. How many of you know he took them out of one circumstance and put them in another? Amen. He, he made their circumstance better, right? He took them out of being slaves to Pharaoh. He took them out of the bondage of Egypt, and he delivered them in a miraculous way through the water. And he brought them into the desert place. How many of you know God did a miraculous thing? And some of us, we can say, you know what? God's done a miraculous thing in my life. But there was a problem with them because their, their situation changed on the outside, but it didn't change on the inside. And the church said, amen. See, the, the, sometimes God can get you in a different situation on the outside, but it's that inside man that God's looking at. And you see, if, if no matter what happens, good, bad, or indifferent on the outside... It's that inside where God brings those blessings, those showers of grace, that peace that passes all understanding, the goodness of God flowing through and through. You see, Joseph went down to Egypt, and he became a slave down there. And he went down into Pharaoh's dungeon, as a matter of fact. But the favor of God stayed on that man, no matter what the outside circumstance was. God's hand was on that man. And here you see the opposite. You see the people of God going not from, not from you know, Potiphar's house to being a slave or, or you know, in prison. Now you have a people going from being a slave to free. It's just the exact opposite. They had a great thing happen to them. But there was a problem because they weren't changed on the inside. And I want to tell you, no matter how many different songs you sing, no matter how many different motivational books you read, no matter how many different conferences you go to, no matter how many different speakers we go to, no matter how much money you give, no matter how many services you go to, if we're not being changed on the inside, it's not benefiting us at all. Now, they had a miraculous deliverance. They had a miraculous deliverance. And some of you tonight have had a miraculous de deliverance. Some of you need a miraculous deliverance. And you can get one tonight. We'll lay hands on you. But I want you to know God's still a deliverer. I'm going to pick up the passage in Hebrews 4, verse 1. It says, let us therefore fear. How many of you know the fear of God is a great thing? It's the beginning of wisdom. Amen. The fear of God has, has been described to me as, as a man, you know, if you have an umbrella and it's, and it's hailing outside, you have that umbrella of protection. The, the fear is, is not you're afraid of the umbrella. The fear is the, the fear to get away from the umbrella. So the fear of God is to be close to him, to walk where he says to walk. If he says go, you go. If he says stop, you stop. It's just a, it's to, to be close to God. Now it says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. How many of you sometimes feel like you come short of the promises of God? Sometimes we come short of the promises of God, and I want to tell you something, the problem's not on God's end. Come on, somebody. 
I mean, if we don't have what God wants for us, it's not God's fault. Nobody's going to stand before God and say, my life would have been better if you would have given me more peace. My life would have been given, but would it be better if you give me more joy? If you would have just done this for me or that for me, nobody's going to stand and do that to God. Problem's not on God's end. There's many promises of God that people don't receive because they don't access those things. Amen. It's not on God's side. The problem's not on his side. Amen. It says in verse 2, it says, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. Now, the reference is to the, to the Israelites that came out of Egypt. The gospel was preached unto us as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You see the key? They got the preaching. And there's a lot of people today that get preaching. Now, I know in a lot of churches we don't get preaching. We get sermonettes, right? Amen. We don't need sermonettes. My soul needs more than a sermonette. I need the Word of God. I mean, I need that hot off the press Word of God. Amen. That's what my soul craves. But there are, there, we need to understand that the Word of God preaches. And the reality that we see in this passage is, is that the, the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the truth, didn't benefit them. They weren't able to access the place that God had for them because they didn't mix it with faith. And I want to tell you, no matter how good uh, the Word of God is, no matter how awesome the blessings of God are, no matter how powerful the promises of God are, no matter how hot and anointed the preaching is, if it's not mixed with faith, it'll profit you nothing. I mean, if we come, if we, if we come to the house of God like Humpty Dumpty sitting on a wall and just trying to make, see, well, let's see if you can make me move, then you're not going to benefit nothing. If you go to your Bible and you open it up and you just look at it like it's words. It's not just words. It's the living word. It's the word of God. Amen. But the, the reality is, is when we don't mix faith with the word preached, it profits nothing. So we have to bring an attitude. And the word that God gave me over the service is cultivate. He wants us to cultivate a heart to believe what God has said. So that we can access what he has. We have got to work on cultivating our hearts. Cultivating means if you've ever had a garden, sometimes there's rocks and you got to pick them up and move them out. Sometimes you need to add some more fertilizer. Sometimes you need to water it. Sometimes you need to pull up weeds. But you're constantly looking. You're constantly paying attention to what it has and what it doesn't have. And you're working on adding what it needs or taking away what it don't need. And when it comes to our heart, when it comes to our soul, when it comes to our walk with God, we need to make sure that we're cultivating our hearts, that we're allowing the Spirit of God to move upon us, to reveal truth to us, and obey and respond as led by God. Cultivating is one of the most important qualities a child of God can, can, can practice. Now, these people here, they did not practice it. God had a special blessing for Israel. He had a promise that he gave to Abraham. He told Abraham his descendants would, would live in the promised land. How many of you want your children to live in the promised land? I don't know what kind of land our children are going to live in. But I mean, Abraham, he had that promise that his, his descendants were going to live in the promised land. Abraham died in faith. Amen. Isaac died in faith. Jacob died in faith. And here come all the descendants. Here come the recipients of all that faith. That faith got stored up year after year, generation after generation. That faith got stored up, and here come that tribe. And God does a miraculous work, and he brings them out of Egypt. He brings them out of a bad circumstance, brings them into a better circumstance. But they don't, they don't put their faith with that word. 
One of the saddest realities that we see in, in, in the day and hour in which we live in is that God, has, who has never changed, and God, who has never lied, has so many blessings and promises available, but how few does the church walk in? You know, one of my favorite promises of God is, is that, you know, um, he keeps them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon the Lord, Isaiah 26.3. It's one of my favorite promises. God keeps us in perfect peace when our mind is stayed on God. You know what? That promise is right there. Boom. But you know what? I will never know that peace if I don't do what that word says. I mean, you can preach it. You can teach it. You can analyze it. You can read it in Greek, Hebrew, Latin. You can scream it. You can whisper it. You can sing it. You can listen to it on a Bible on CD. You can memorize it backwards and forwards. But if you don't actually put your mind on God, you'll never have the peace that the promise promised. And so what I find in a lot of the church world is there's a lot of people that know the promises of God, that have heard the promises of God, but they don't mix faith with that promise. Cultivate. That's the word God wants us to receive tonight is cultivate that cultivate that heart to do what he said to do. In, in, for example, in that the scripture that I'm telling you in Isaiah 26, keep your mind stayed on him means literally keep your mind on God. Whenever I don't have peace, I can go back to that verse and figure out why I don't need to go to a counselor. I've got one named Holy Ghost. And that Holy Ghost said, who is my true counselor, he'll point me back to that word. If I don't have peace, if I'm moved, if I'm stressed out, if I've got anxiety, if I'm, oh, what's going to happen? You know, who's going to win this election? Who's going to pay for my taxes? Ah! If I'm just panicked, if I'm frantic, if I'm worried about pestilences and worried about earthquakes and worried about wars and worried about rumors of war and worried about food shortages... If I'm worried about all these things, you know what I'm not doing? I'm not doing what God said to do. I'm not keeping my mind stayed on Him. I'm believing a bad report. I'm listening to the lies of Satan and not the voice of the Lord God Almighty. And whenever I'm not listening to the voice of the Lord God Almighty, I'm not going to walk in His promises. This happened to the nation of Israel. They, be, they began to believe the bad reports. And you know, if there's anything that the devil wants you to do, he wants you to listen to the bad report. Amen. He does. He wants you to listen to the bad report. A lot of times people put more confidence in a bad report than a good report. You get 99 people tell you, that's a man of God, that's a man of God, that's a man of God, that's a man of God. You get one person say, oh, no, that's a scoundrel. That one dissenting bad report will tear down all that good stored up. People believe bad reports. I mean, the devil is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. And the way that he operates is the way he's always operated. He slanders. The word of God says that he's the accuser of the brethren. He's a slanderer. He, he brings false accusations and false reports and bad reports because he knows if he can get us off into those believing those bad reports, we will not access the promises of God. And I want you to know, God wants you to access those promises of God. Turn with me, if you will, to Numbers chapter 13. All the way back to the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 13. In Numbers chapter 13, I'm going to be talking specifically about the people that believe the bad report. Kind of show you the parallels of where we are in our day. So whenever Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and they walked on the dry land with the wall of water on the left and a wall of water on the right, I would assume after seeing that miracle, we would say God's able to do anything. But when they got to the other side, and they were there in the wilderness land. They forgot how mighty their God is. 
And you know how easy and quick it is for you to forget what God's done in your life? That's why I love that testimony that you gave. It's so quick and easy for us to forget all that God has brought us through. If you could remember how low you were, remember how depressed and depraved and dark those days were. Not even the fact that we were headed to hell, but the fact that we were living in hell. And the reality is that God hasn't changed. The same God that brought me out of hell many years ago is the same God that's keeping me walking upright today. The same God that's giving me life today, that's putting breath in my lungs, that is strengthening my soul. That's the same God today that I serve. In Numbers chapter 13, the, the, the children of Israel on this other side of that miracle, they realize they're in the wilderness land and they realize they're not yet in the promised land. Hello. You're in the wilderness land and not yet in the promised land. Amen. We going, we going across Jordan's River. Amen. But here's the reality that they encountered is they, they weren't sure. So they sent 12 spies out to spy the land. It says in verse number 25, after these these spies went and spied out the land, Numbers 13, verse 25, it says they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. They spent 40 days out there. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran and to Kadesh. And brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We came unto the land whither thou sent us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. I want you to stop right there. They bring back the milk, the honey, the fruit. They bring back the report. They bring back the, you know what? We saw the promises of God and the promises of God are amazing. We saw the promises of God and the promises of God are amazing. You ever seen someone that has that glow on them? They've been in the presence of God. That's how I felt when we walked out Saturday night. I didn't even know what time it was. Whew, I was feeling so good. You, you go around someone that's been in the presence of God and you just say, wow, they've been in the land of milk and honey. They've been in the presence of Jehovah. They've been in the presence of the king. And there's just that, that glow upon them, upon the soul. There's a countenance change from the inside out. And they came and they brought the good report. They said, it's true. The land flows with milk and honey. And I want to I tell you something. The promises of God are better than milk and honey. The promises of God. So many people live short of the promises of God. And if you are not living in the promises of God, I want to tell you something. Like I said earlier, God hasn't changed. And if we'll reverse course and begin to cultivate as God intends for us to do, God will get us back to walking in those promises Notice what happens next. So the first thing they say is, yes, it does flow with milk and honey, and this is the fruit, nevertheless. How many of you know there's always a nevertheless? There's always conditions. God gave Adam and Eve a garden with conditions. There's always conditions. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. So they began to get focused on. The problems and not the promise. Can I tell you something? Whenever it comes to the promises of God, there's always going to be problems. You, You start living out your faith. You start living your faith out loud. You start walking in the anointing of God. You start living in the presence of God. The world's going to come against you. 
Jesus said in John 7, 7, he said he, the, the world hated him first. So it's going to hate you. It's going to hate you because it hated him first. A lot of people miss that. The world hated Jesus so much that they crucified him. They didn't like what he said. Do you want to talk about a namby-pamby Jesus that nobody dislikes? You've got the wrong Jesus. Because when Jesus preaches what he preached in the word of God, the world hates it because he testifies that the world is evil. The world is wicked. Now, it says here that they, they began to get moved by the problems. And whenever you begin to access the promises of God, you need to be aware that there will always be problems. But what you've got to decide is whether the problems are greater than the promise or whether the promise is greater than the problem. You've got to decide that. You've got to decide whether you would rather have the promise or the problem. Sometimes we need to remember this reality. There are facts on the ground, but there's truth that's greater than the facts. Truth is greater than fact. A fact is, is something that you see, but a truth is something God speaks that can change that fact. Factually, Jesus was dead, but the truth was he was coming back to life. Amen? Factually, you can't feed 5,000 people with just a little bit of bread and fish. But the truth of God shows up the facts. Amen. So what we need is to hold on to God's truth, which is the word of God. Didn't Jesus say he's the way, the truth and the life? We need to hold on to the truth of God. And the facts are the facts, but the truth of God trumps the facts. And what these these spies, what they got moved by was they were more moved by the facts than the truth. Amen. God promised to give them the land. God promised to give them the land, but they looked at the problems in the land. If God promised to give you something, don't look at the problems. If God promised to give you peace, if God promised to give you joy, if God promised to give you everlasting life, if God promised you anything, don't look at the problems associated. Hold on to the promise. One of the things that we see in this passage is they weren't ready to pay the price. You see, whenever you go into the promised land and there's an enemy in the promised land, you've got to do two things. You've got to occupy the land and you've got to cultivate the land. And they weren't wanting to do that. They wanted to walk into the land and they wanted the land to have a red bow on it. They wanted to take off that red bow and just live in high cotton. They wanted to prop their feet up and just live the life. But the reality is this, is that whenever God gives you something, God calls you to do two things when he gives it to you. You've got to occupy and you've got to cultivate any relationship. You understand this. If you enter into a relationship, a marriage relationship, you've got to occupy in that thing and you've got to cultivate that thing. You need to be where God called you to be and you need to do what God called you to do you can't just get married get the marriage certificate and then go off and live your own life that's not how it works and that's how many people believe Christianity works I got the marriage certificate I went and prayed that sinner's prayer and then I went and lived my own life well no you didn't get nothing okay so when it comes to the things of God we've got to come and occupy and cultivate the things that God gives us one of the greatest charges that God gives us in the word of God Jesus said, occupy till I come. We are, we've been called to occupy the territory that God gives us until he comes back. He gives so many of us talents, so many of us this, so many of us that, and he's called us to occupy the territory till he comes. So the children of God, they saw the promised land, but they weren't willing to occupy it and cultivate it they weren't willing to drive out the enemy they weren't willing to hold on to the promise they wanted to just complain about it so joshua and caleb the two spies that had the good report tried to calm everybody down say hey come on guys god promised it we can do it i want to tell you something it's possible for you to live a life that pleases God. It's possible for you to live a life full of the Holy Ghost. It's possible for you to live and walk in a way that pleases the Lord God Almighty. It is possible. But you've got to occupy and cultivate. 
So look what he says in, in verse 30. He says, Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through whom we have gone to search it is a land that, is, that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. See, when, when we see these obstacles in our life, when we see these obstacles to the things that God has said, you either rise up in faith or you fall down in your feelings. One of the two things happens. There's many times that God has promised certain things in your life, but in order for you to receive that thing, you've either got to rise up in faith or you're going to fall down on your feelings. And what God has called the nation of Israel and what he's called you to do is to rise up in faith. This opportunity that God brought them, it was this truth, but they had to mix it with belief. I want to tell you that God, God in this evil report, this is, this is important. I want you to see this. The evil report is Satan's mail system. See, we got email they call it snail mail now, the postal service. But Satan's got a mail system, and it's called bad report. He'll bring a bad report. Amen. And the bad report will do Satan's damage to a church, to your life. If the devil can get you to believe a bad report about a church, he'll get you sitting at church like Humpty Dumpty. Stone face, unmovable, unbreakable. <laughs> you just get you sitting up there and, and you'll be just so rigid, so hard, so unmovable that nothing God does can affect you. That's what the bad report will do. The bad report will circumvent the promises of God. It did right there. It might have went by you. The bad report from some of these spies came in and it circumvented a whole generation of Israelites from the promises of God. You don't think the devil doesn't realize this is one of his greatest tactics? If he can get a bad report in your ears, if he can get a bad report in your heart, if he can get a bad report in a church, if he can get a bad report in you, he can circumvent the promises of God. Amen. A bad report can discourage a whole church. Bad report can discourage a whole church. Well, I knew nobody liked me. Well, I knew nobody liked me. I knew nobody cared. I knew nobody. It can discourage a whole church. It can spread like wildfire. Bad report. This is not where it's supposed to be. This is not how it's supposed to be. A lot of times people, you know, they think, well, you know, things should be different. You look at the promised land and you come up to the promised land and you think there should be no giants in that promised land. Really? You, you really think that you're going to walk into one of these um, doors that God gives, one of these seasons that God has for you, one of these moments of, of, of walking into God's blessing, and you don't think there's going to be any kind of opposition there? We have a saying, you know, new levels, new devils. You really think when you get to that new level, it's just going to be empty? No demons, no satanic resistance, no oppression, no battles, no faith necessary. No, at every moment of your life until you get to heaven, you need to use faith. You need to walk in faith. You need to cancel the bad reports with the truth of God's word. But that bad report, it circumvents people from accessing 
the promises of God. So sometimes you think, oh, you know what? Things should not be this way. Really? Well, why don't you go and start occupying territory? Why don't you go and start casting out devils? Why don't you go and start pleading the blood of Jesus? Why don't you go and start praying in the, in the Holy Ghost? You know, I know a guy that, that his boss was very contrite. His boss was ungodly. His boss was just a very mean person and, and, and very untoward about God. And this man, he said, instead of getting mad about it, instead of getting even, and instead of quitting, he knew God called him to that job. So you know what he did? He got to work an hour before his boss, and he went in his boss's office, and he sat in his boss's chair, and he prayed in the Holy Ghost in that man's chair for an hour every morning. And within a month, that man's heart changed. Within a month, that man's heart changed. That's how you occupy territory. That's how you go on the offense. That's how you, oh, it shouldn't be like, I shouldn't have a boss like this. I'm just going to pack my bags and I shouldn't have a boss like it. Come on now. When God brings you into something, there's going to be battles. But you need to hold on to the truth of what God has said and walk in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and let God guide you in those battles. Amen. There's some things you just can't prepare for. You can't be so prepared that you don't need God. There's no way they could have prepared for the battle of the promised land. Even Joshua, the night before they took the first city of Jericho, he had no idea how to win the battle. Till Jesus showed up. Jesus said, I want you to march around. He had no idea. How am I going to take out Jericho? All Joshua knew is go across the Jordan and we're going to take the first city out. But the walls are big. He had no idea how to do it until he got there. And see, and there's, there's things that you need to know that you, can't, you cannot prepare for Jericho. You have to walk by faith. And as Joshua was walking by faith, the word of God says he was out there. He, I'm, I'm sure he was meditating, praying. He was calling on the Lord. And then all of a sudden, he saw the captain of the Lord's army. And his immediate response is, are you for us or them? Like, whose side are you on? And the Lord was on Israel's side. But you see, there was no training for that. It was a walk of faith for Joshua. And for you, it's the same way. There's not training. It's a walk of faith. And if you allow a bad report from the devil, it'll sink you. It will sink you. It'll, it'll divide a house. It'll create a divorce. It'll divide a church. It'll create a church split. It'll, it'll do damage in you. It'll get you off of the promises of God and onto the problems of the world. Rather than focusing on the promise, rather than focusing on the promise, many people would rather bellyache about the problem. Mm, that'll preach. See, a lot of times, we, you know, there's a promise there, and, and you know, we want to see a breakthrough, we got to pray it through. If we want to see a breakthrough, we got to pray it through. But you know what? It's a lot easier to bellyache about the problem. But I believe with all my heart that if God's people pray and agree in prayer over anything, it shall be done in Jesus' name. I believe I've seen God move mountains that shouldn't have been moved. I've seen God save people that the world would say are unsavable. I've seen God deliver people that were so bound up the world would say they need to go to the halfway house. I've seen people so messed up that God has healed, that God has delivered, and God has set free because people stood in the gap and prayed and prayed in faith and prayed in the Holy Ghost and did not doubt. They doubted not, but they believed. And I want to tell you, God still moves the same way today. But if we as the people of God would rather bellyache about the problems in our home, the problems in our society, the problems in our church, we're not going to make things better. We're going to make things sour. God's never changed. And His ways never change. 
And if you want to see a moving of God, if you want to see the promises of God, if you want to see the hand of God in your life, you've got to believe the truth of what God has said in his word. You've got to take what he says, not what the devil says. See, these these, these ten spies, they came back with what the devil would want them to come back with. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We... Sure, God, God promised us this land, and it's full of giants. Oh, yeah. You know, God gave me a marriage, and he's a dud. You see, we, we can look at those promises of God. We can look at those things with worldly eyes. And we can bellyache about those problems. We can take those problems to that altar and we can pray through those situations and we can seize the promises of God. See, Joshua and Caleb were the only two. These they were two that didn't go with the bad report. The whole generation of Israel died in the desert. But those two men, they got to see the promises of God. You know what? If God has to wait us out, he will. He'll let us die in the desert and raise up a generation after us that will actually believe his truth, that will actually reject the bad reports, that will actually reject the evil words and will seize on and lock on to his promises. He'll let a people die in the desert. He's done it before. He'll do it again. I don't know about you, but I believe the church in America is in a desert season. I believe that latter rain's coming. But I believe some of us need to understand the truth that God is speaking tonight. We need to let the belly aching go. We need to let the belly aching about the problems go and start occupying and cultivating the promises of God. He says in the word here, it says that, They brought this evil report, and everybody believed the evil report. This, again, once again, this is Satan's mail system. And you you have to make that choice whether you're going to believe Satan's mail system or whether you're going to believe the Word of God. Amen. Let me show you something in in Philippians chapter 3. Turn with me back to New Testament, Philippians chapter 3. We'll go down to verse number 12 here. See, one of the things about the Word of God that we see in this the Scripture that we're about to read is that even the, the rest of God, even that, that promised land, it's a promise. The promised land is a promise. But even that you've got to cultivate. The, the life that we live as children of God is a promise. You know, I remember a day in time that I, that I didn't have the peace of God. I have it now. I mean, I'm, you with me? There was a time in my life I didn't know the presence of God. I know the presence of God now. Now I, now I know when I, when I don't have the presence of God. There was a time in my life when I didn't feel the glory of God. And, the, and I know what it's like to have the glory of God on my life now. But there was a time when I had no idea what the peace of God was. I had no idea. Now I know it. And I know when I don't have it. Amen. So what am I talking about? When I I know that I have the peace of God and I know when I don't, that means I've got to cultivate that thing back in my life. That's what I'm talking about. I've got to cultivate that thing back in my life. I've got to do whatever God told me to do. I've got to keep my mind stayed on him. No, look, no matter how many songs you sing, if your mind stays on taxes and inflation and war, you're not going to have the peace of God. I don't care how many books you read. If you keep your mind stayed on the world, you're not going to have the peace of God that passes the world. 
And that's what I mean by cultivating. We've got to make sure that we're cultivating these promises of God in our life. Notice what he says here in verse number 12. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, Paul is not teaching them to get saved over and over and over and to keep working that salvation out, working it, working it, working it. What he's meaning is work out what God's working in. That's what that means. Work out what God is working in. I'm, I'm in Philippians 2, verse 12. I'm sorry, guys. Philippians 2, verse 12. It says, wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So what you see here is God's called you to do something. Now that you've been saved, now that you've been born again, God has called you to work out what God's putting in. God has put something in you. He's put new life in you. He's putting the Holy Spirit in you. But he's calling you to work out that salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, keep cultivating the life of God in you. God put something supernatural in you. God put his Holy presence in you. He put the Spirit inside of you. And he's calling upon you to work that thing out with fear and trembling. It's just like when you go to the, well, maybe you don't, but if you go to the, if you go to the, uh, go to the gym, you work out, you start working out, those muscles build from the inside. And then before long, you see it on the outside. But they have to be there first. How many of you know, even if you don't have a big muscle, you still got a muscle? Come on, somebody. It might be little, it might be flat, but you still got a muscle there. But if you keep working it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's the same thing with salvation. You get saved, you've got salvation, but now work that thing. Work that thing, prime that thing, pump that thing, and you'll get stronger and stronger and stronger. You begin to cultivate that thing, and you begin to grow in godliness. You begin to grow in wisdom. You begin to grow in the things of God. Amen. There was a time in my life I could have told you every single person on my favorite team, uh, where they went to college, they're, they're, you know, I could have told you all about them. I couldn't tell you anything about them now. Why? Because I can tell you something about God now. You see, because I'm not, I'm not working out worldliness. I'm working out my salvation. I'm working that out. I, I'm, I'm, I'm studying God. I'm praying to God. I'm meditating on God. I'm walking with God. I'm, I'm praising God. I want more of Him in my life. And so I'm, I'm removing those things that are not of God, and I'm working out the things that God's put in. And so in order for us to cultivate this walk with God, we need to make sure that we are working out our own salvation. It says with fear and trembling. I want you to know it's a very slippery slope. Once you begin to backslide, once you begin to believe a bad report, once you begin to think bad thoughts, once you begin to stop cultivating and you let those things begin to grow up, you let those, you let those weeds begin to grow, you let, those, you let those rocks begin to stay in there. How many of you remember the... One of my favorite passages, Mark chapter 4. Jesus talked about the sower sowing the seed. How many of you remember that? There's four different types of soil, all right? There's the wayside, there's the stony, the thorny, and the good. And you know what? You can start out as good ground. How many of you know a lot of people's gardens start out good, right? A lot of people start out with a well-manicured garden. But how many of you know if you stop? If you stop cultivating it, what's going to happen? Somehow, weeds and rocks get in there. Weeds and rocks get in there. I mean, you can have a very manicured garden right now, but if you don't maintain that thing, if you're not working out that salvation with fear and trembling, weeds are going to grow, rocks are going to come in, and what once was good ground will then become thorny ground or stony ground. How many times have we seen somebody walk with God and then get stony hearted? How many times have we seen somebody walk with God and then get thorny hearted? How many times have we seen somebody walk with God and then fall back? And all the time God is telling us 
to cultivate that land, cultivate that garden, keep that thing tilled up. How many of you know who the tiller is? Amen. The tiller's the Holy Ghost. He'll put his hand on something and he'll tell you, you don't need that. Or he'll tell you, you need to do that. He'll tell you to stop believing that. How many of you know sometimes you get around some church folks and they're, they're, they, they gossip more than the world does? You say, ah, you know what, I don't need to go to lunch with you anymore. They'll be talking about everybody. They'll, get, they'll be getting you to think bad thoughts about everybody in the whole church. It's amazing how somebody can do things like that and not realize they're being used of the enemy. But you know what? One of the things that God's given us right here is this word. Look at this next part. It says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputing that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So God here is telling you that it's he that is working in you. If you're a child of God, you've got Jesus working in you. This is not you trying to, to do something. It's you obeying God. This is a big difference. And one of the things that people miss sometimes is they, they, they get ahead of God. And they don't, follow the, they don't follow the commandments of God. Now I want to close with you in John chapter 14. Turn with me over there. This part you got to get. John chapter 14. And verse number 15 is where we're going to start out. John chapter 14, beginning in verse number 15. Going back to the beginning, truth preached will not profit if it's not mixed with faith. You can preach, 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 but if you don't mix that preaching with faith, it won't profit you at all. And those children of God that died in the desert, they did not mix faith with the promise of God. They saw that garden, but they saw the stones and the thorns as being too much, too much. Now, here's a promise, though, for us. Here's a promise for us. In John chapter 14, beginning in verse number 15, what I want you to see in this passage, I want you to see something. I want you to see that God's promised to give you something. God's promised to give you something. So I know no matter what I come into, I know no matter what, no matter what the, the level I get to is, I'm not there by myself. I'm not there on my own. I've got someone with me. I've got someone with me. And what he's doing is he's helping me understand this is what you need to do. That's what you don't need to do. He's guiding me. But I've got to keep an obedient heart. This is where Israel miserably failed in the desert. They just simply did not obey. They didn't put faith in what God said. Now, we have the word of God, but you know what? You've got the author of the word of God living in you. You've got the Holy Ghost living on the inside. And in the same way, they had the word of God go to the promised land. He promised it to Abraham. And so they did not obey the voice of God. If you're a child of God and you've got the Holy Ghost living inside you, you've got to obey what he says to do. Amen. In the same way, you'll miss the promises of God if you don't. It says in verse number 15, Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's the truth right there. If, if you're not keeping commandments of God, you don't love Jesus. You don't. But if you love him, you'll obey him. Verse 16. And he said, and see, a lot of people, they, you got to correlate these things. 15 comes before 16, right? He says, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And so what Jesus is saying here is, if you obey him, 
Because you love him, if you obey him, he'll pray to the Father, and the Father will give you another comforter. Now, Jesus was a comforter to the disciples. When the storm got too much, he'd calm it down. When they didn't have enough food, he'd bless the food. When somebody needed to get healed, he'd heal them. When someone needed to get delivered from a demon, he'd deliver them. Didn't matter what the issue was. Jesus was a comforter to the disciples. And now he's saying to them, if you obey my word, I'll pray to the Father and he'll send you not a comforter, another comforter. What the theologians will tell you is the same way that Jesus was to the disciples is the same way the Holy Ghost is to you. And every step of the way, Jesus was there. So they weren't there on their own just trying to figure out what to do. They had Jesus there with them. How many of you know every time they got into a problem, Jesus would tell them what to do? Right? Jesus would tell them what to do. And in the same way, the Holy Ghost inside of you will lead you and guide you so that you can work out the salvation that God's given you. The Holy Spirit will tell you when to go, where to go. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you if you'll keep that heart sensitive and obey those commandments. He'll direct your steps and he'll bring you to the right place and he'll tell you when to cross the River Jordan. He'll tell you when to surround Jericho and march seven times. He'll tell you when to go. Even though you see giants in the land, go. I've given it to you. Go. Take that thing. It's been given to you in the name of Jesus. He'll tell you when to go, where to go, how to go. He'll tell you where not not to go but what we've got to do is get a heart to obey him mixing our faith with his word when he tells me to do something i need to do it even if i don't want to do it i need to do it if he tells me to go get down on my knees during worship and and just honor him and glorify him i'm gonna do it if he tells me to run around the sanctuary and lift up my hands and scream and shout i'm gonna do it if he tells me to you know to go left don't go right i'm gonna do it If he tells me not to go somewhere, guess what? I'm not going to go somewhere. If he tells me to stop believing a bad report, guess what I need to do? Stop believing a bad report. If he tells me I need to to do this, I'm going to do it. So what I want you to see, though, is that God has promised you a comforter. And that comforter speaks. He is the spirit of truth. He speaks. He testifies. What does he say? He says what the word says. The people of God... From the beginning to the end, all through the Word of God have always had this problem. Do you believe the promise of God is greater than the problem you face? Do you believe the promise of God is greater than the problem you face? And I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit has come. Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was that initial outpouring. And ever since that initial outpouring, the Holy Ghost is still coming to the children of God. All those that believe on Jesus Christ are are available to receive the Holy Ghost. And in the same way that the Holy Ghost directed the steps of the first church, he directed the the steps of the second church. He directed the steps of the third church. He directed the steps of the fourth church. And you know what? We may not know how to get America out of the mess it's in. We may not know how to do what we, but I know this. God has promised us. He's called us to live in this crooked and perverse generation blamelessly. And I don't know how to do that, but God does. I don't know how to, I don't know how to shine that light. I don't know how to live in that way that God's called, but God does. And what I can do is I can obey him and I can respond to him and I can allow him to lead and guide me through these days. Just like the first church had to figure it out. They had to learn to listen to God's voice. They had to learn to obey the Holy Ghost. They had to learn to to be directed by his voice. And you know what? If we need anything in the church world today, it's to be directed by the voice of the Holy Spirit. We need to cultivate an ear to hear his voice again. Amen. You know, they used to say that those Indians back in the day, they would put their ear down to the ground and they could hear how close horses were. They were so sensitive to they were so sensitive to the sound. They were so sensitive. They cultivated their ear. They could hear there's five horses five miles away. 
There's three horses two miles away. They were so sensitive in their ear, they could distinguish those sounds. You know what? I believe the church is going to have to get its ear down to the ground to hear God again. We've got to get those competing voices out. We've got to get those bad reports out. We've got to remove the dissenting voices. We've got to remove the voice of doubt. And we've got to put our ear to where we hear the Lord's voice again as a church. The day and hour that we live in demands it. We need a fresh anointing in the church. We don't need more conferences. We don't need more. We don't need to write new music. We don't need to write new books. We don't need to go to new conferences. We don't need those things. What we need is to cultivate an ear to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice. I want you to know if you're a child of God, you're his sheep. And he's given you a promise to hear his voice. And if you'll humble yourself before him, he'll anoint your ear to hear. And if you'll obey him, he'll lead you and guide you. How many of you in a situation in your family you really don't know the answer to? I know someone that knows that answer. How many of you know we're in a situation nationally we don't really know the answer to? How are you going to take hate out of somebody's heart? How are you going to take the wickedness out of the land that's been unleashed? Do you realize that a whole generation of children are being brainwashed by demons? You hear what I'm saying? A whole generation of children are being brainwashed by demons. There's no logical answer for that. We need the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Ghost. That anointing of God will break off every fetter and chain. That anointing of God will set those captives free. The anointing of God will heal what was wounded. The anointing of God will bind up what was broken. It is God that we need in this generation like never before. And I'm telling you, we can't keep doing church as usual. We need the anointing of God like never before. We need to cultivate an ear to hear His voice. If there was ever a time in our generation that a church had to rise above the situation, it's now. Amen. Think about what all the church has been through in the last 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years. And it's time for the church to get an ear to hear the Lord's voice again. To be led by the Spirit of God. Amen? I want you to know, I want you to know, God's calling you to believe His promise. God's calling you to believe His promise. Not to be moved by the problem. Are there giants in the land? Yes. I just told you one. We've got a whole generation of children being brainwashed by demons. Is there a giant in the land? Yep. Is that giant bigger than the promise of God? Nope. Nope. That giant's going to come down. That giant's going to come down. You know, in the same way, the children of God, they didn't know how they were going to drive out the children of Anak. They didn't know how they were going to drive out the giants. But all Joshua and Caleb knew is, well, God told us. God told us. They didn't have the answers, but they knew who had the answer. And I'm telling you, God, know, God, God's calling you not to try to figure everything out, but to trust he's got the answer, to listen to his voice and do what he says to do. Amen. Amen. I want to give you a chance to pray and respond to the Lord tonight. If you just want to give yourself afresh to him tonight and just say, Lord, I need you like never before. My family needs you like never before. I need to be the man of God that you've called me to be. I need to be that woman of God you've called me to be. 
I need to be that son. I need to be that father. I need to be that mother. I need to be that sister. I need to be that person that you've called me to be like never before. Use me, Lord, for those around me. Use me that they may know you. Use me that we can make a difference in this generation. Use me, Lord, that we can shine forth as those children that you've called us to shine as. Even in the middle of this crooked and perverse generation. Even in the middle of the problems in our homes. Lord, change us. Change what needs changed. Lord, I ask tonight, God, as we come to this place tonight, as we come, Lord, I pray that you would do a work inside of us. Lord, that every single doubt would be vanquished. Lord, we thank you that we can come to the place where we can settle that issue with you, where we can give it over to you, where we can believe and doubt not. And Lord, those of us that are having problems, Lord, we pray, help us, Lord. Help us. We believe, but help our unbelief. If we have those hindrances, Lord, I pray that you would remove those hindrances. Give us that assurance, Lord, that we can roll that burden over upon you. In your word, God, you said, cast your cares upon you because you care for us. Lord, I know that we can't be weighed down by those burdens and walk as you've called us to walk. Lord, I pray tonight that every person that comes forward, every person that comes to these altars, Lord, I pray that you would renew and reignite that fire in us, that you would fan the flame that you once lit in us, Lord, that you would give us courage to follow your voice wherever you lead. And God, we pray for that fresh baptism of your spirit, that fresh anointing. Lord, we ask that chains would fall, that eyes would be opened, and lives would be changed as we mix our faith with your promise. In Jesus' name. If you're here tonight and you need to pray, we want you to come forward. Just have a moment at the altar.